everybody. I'm Marianne Katsidis, and this is the Heart-Led Changemaker podcast. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone where it felt so juicy and inspired that it left you feeling energized and ready to take on the world? There have been countless times I wished I could have recorded conversations like that because it felt criminal that no one else got to hear or experience that feeling. Those conversations ignite something inside of you because you visualize a new way to connect with others and sometimes even a new world. This show will provide you with ways to stay focused on the future, some food for thought, new ideas and concepts, a way to create abundance ethically, a showcase of those already doing the work and succeeding, and a sense of connection. Being a change maker can be very lonely, so this will serve as a community for heart-led warriors. Sit back and let this high-vibe, heartfelt conversation light you up. Today's guest is a wonderful, high-vibe individual. Sophie Breetag is a kindness and connection specialist, mental health ambassador, keynote speaker, meditation teacher, and happiness coach. Sophie uses her corporate background in human resource, people, and culture and leadership to provide business leaders with insight into what makes a successful workplace culture and what can create a toxic one. She is very passionate about people and she teaches others to identify and harness their strengths so they can lead powerfully and authentically in life and in their career. Sophie, welcome. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Marianne. Oh, I've been really excited about this all morning. And so when I said to you, I need to go and get a cup of tea, it was because I needed like a bit more of a relaxation tea because I've been sort of really excited and I thought, oh no, I need a calming tea just to get get in the vibe of the day. So thank you for having me. (laughs) You're welcome. To say our paths crossing is a gift is an understatement. I feel so grateful that they did, but we connected on LinkedIn after you came across my social media post announcing heart-led change makers, right? Yes, correct. (laughs) Correct. And I was like, she's my people. <laughs> and that's how I felt about you when I read through your profile and saw some of your posts and did a deep dive into the work that you're doing as well. And I just loved your energy straight away. But one of the things that I really love about how you share online is your real and raw expression. I've noticed you're just very intentional about the way you're commenting on other people's posts. You've got this way of expressing how you see them. And I absolutely love that. Does that come now? naturally to you? Well, it does. It does. And it's really interesting that you say that because a while ago I had actually had a healing. So I had a a kinesiology um, and I know that's very close to you as well, that modality of healing. But I had a kinesiology appointment with someone I'd never met before. And she said to me, you know, throughout the healing, you are here to reflect back the other person and to light the way so that they can see themselves the way that you see them and that other people see them. And so I have often been told, how how do you connect with people so easily? How do you see what you see? How do you do what you do? And for me, it's innate. So it's actually, I feel it's a gift that I've got, but I also feel that it is also, as you mentioned, the word intentional, it is the way that I show up with an intention to uh, shine a light on other people and the amazing things that other people can do. So I think there is both both sides to that. Mm. Yes, I love that. I mean, 
even the fact that you're respecting those qualities within yourself and then mm. using that to help other people, I just think is so incredible. And and it was noticeable to me in a in a millisecond. Oh. So I can see why so many people are drawn to your energy because it is, it's not forced. It's so mm. genuine. And I see people commenting and interacting with all of your posts as well. And I wish, you know, my wish, given that my, my background is in marketing, that's predominantly what I do. I wish more people people would approach things in that way and just let themselves connect just that bit deeper. It's my biggest bugbear. That's why this podcast even <laughs> exists because I want to talk to that. people who can talk to me deeply, you know, yeah. but I just, I just love what you do and, and how you do it. So why is kindness the most important aspect of leadership? So that's my opinion. I feel like people are starting to catch on. I've certainly seen a lot more discussion, particularly on LinkedIn, where the traditional soft skills of empathy and vulnerability and kindness and love are all starting to be discussed more and a lot by thought leaders, which makes my heart absolutely sing. The reason that I feel it is so important is because because I think we've all experienced unkindness at one stage or another through our life. And particularly within the workplace, uh, I feel that, as you said, you know, showing up authentically as you are and connecting on a deep level has been fairly taboo. And I think that through COVID, it really showed people that we're not just our jobs. We are humans behind our jobs and our work is a part of us, but it shouldn't and it ne never, I don't think, should it be who you are. The work can align with your values and how you want to show up in the world and what you want to create. And so kindness for me is a whole, it's a plethora really, and I love that word, but a plethora of ways in which people can show up. So there's, you know, boundary setting is a way to be kind within a workplace. Being vulnerable and having humility are ways to show up and, and be kind. Because the more that we can show of ourselves and connect authentically from a heart-driven space in a workplace, I believe the more you will receive from the people that you work with they'll be more engaged they'll feel more seen and heard and that they matter and that engagement will lead to high productivity so kindness for me is a is a no-brainer within workplaces but I feel that organizations potentially haven't quite caught up yet to the power that sits behind being kind I agree I don't think they have um, and, it, and mm -hmm. it is noticeable because you're still seeing so many people you know with that 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 feeling like even just tapping into it now it's like this heaviness feeling of oh, I have to go to that workplace mm -hmm. I'm not being seen I can't be myself yeah. um, I, I you know there, there are so many different components but what do you find are the consistent hurdles with business leaders and organisations? Mm. Like when you really sort of zoom in, what is driving it? So what's driving the problems within yeah. workplaces? And, and the yes. hurdles there, yeah. Yeah, so I think there are there are many things that will impact a workplace culture and it's not just necessarily the people who are within the workplace, it's also the systems or the lack of systems and processes and um, values alignment and consistency with how the business is created and how it travels along the business journey as well. So the hurdles to people being more kind in a workplace are businesses not understanding it, firstly, not understanding that they probably 
need it and the ones who need it the most are the ones who understand it the least. And I feel that when when a business is very focused on profitability and productivity, there is often a skewed view on, you know, we do take care of our people, but are we taking care of our people in a holistic and person-centric way so that they can show up and be the best humans that they possibly can be for us within that workplace? And that part is often missing. It's usually like, well, I've got, you know, this system in place, we've got our position descriptions, or this person's been in this role for a long time. They know what they're doing, but do they know how to lead their teams effectively from a place of, of heart? but also have the balance within well how do we make sure that we're also reaching the profitability and the productivity that we require from our humans and you you really need that balance of the human and the business and it's that how do they interact but if you're too heavily you know missing the people part you're going to have higher levels of people leaving people not being attracted to the job or they'll be attracted on the promise of making more money or being paid more but then when they get there it's you know the missing bit of the human Similarly, if you have a business that's not focused on making money, you're not going to survive. So I feel like there's that real, you really need a balance of the two, in my opinion. Yeah, and they they still, I mean, when you look at businesses out there, they're quite in the extreme, aren't they? There there still isn't, the majority are not in in a balance. No. No. So when you start those conversations with business leaders, what are the initial hurdles in them starting to participate and engage with you? Because a lot do go willingly with, you know, what, wanting to refine and and they understand they've sort of surrendered to this yeah. work and 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 why this makes sense it's a no-brainer for me but yeah. there are still there, there'd be some I'm sure that would oh. probably have some resistance on what, yeah, what oh, there those, is. yeah what are those conversations like they can be difficult and uncomfortable but really you know it's about bringing people on that journey and I know that that sentence is used a lot you know we bring our people on the journey or we bring our clients on the journey or we're on the journey but what it really is is about um, you know the people who are drawn to me and and I've said this you know many times and I'll probably say it till the day that I you know I pass away is that I am not here to be able to assist everybody yeah. I would love to create and this is you know my passion is and my excitement and my joy and my you know my why is to you know create a kindness revolution through the world but I'm not going to be able to help every single person. And I think when you um, have a purpose is understanding that not everybody's going to understand. Some people will not understand, but then, you know, work towards getting on the journey with you. Some people won't be interested at all. So, you know, when some people see me the way that I, because I show up like this in corporate environments as well, you know, I can be quite triggering to a lot of business people because I am very colourful. I do challenge the status quo. I am quite vocal about what I believe um, businesses need and that can be very uncomfortable for a business and for business leaders who, you know, change is hard. Change is not easy for anyone. I mean, when we try and implement a habit or a change into our life, it's like, oh, you know, it's that hard yards for the first three to six months, isn't it? And so part of being on the journey and getting people on that journey with me is to show them you don't have to have massive changes at the start. Even if you implement some small things and you start to have some small wins within the workplace, then you can actually see, oh, well, maybe if we did this, we can achieve this. And then we build on on that. So yeah, there is pushback. Absolutely. Because I'm not your, you know, I'm not everyone's cup of tea and neither do I try to be. And I think for me, that's why, that's why people are drawn to what I'm doing because I'm very different and I interest a lot of people, but I also, I 
probably repel quite a few people, but they're still fascinated by what I'm talking about. So it is, it's a really interesting space for me to sit in, in and I love what I do. And I think if you don't have passion behind what you're doing, you're not going to be able to create change because, ch- as I said before, change is hard. Change is hard. Of course. I think um, you'd scare a lot of people. I don't think you'd oh, repel yeah. them, but I think, oh. you'd, I think you'd scare them in the best possible way you would scare them because you're like their greatest fear realised. You know, people know when yes. they're not operating at their best, when yeah. they're not leading at their best, when they're not performing at their best. So, yeah. of course, it's going to be uncomfortable. It would be uncomfortable yeah. for you too, I'm I'm assuming. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Because you're you'd be feeling you I know you're very intuitive. You'd be feeling their energy as well. So, but there's a there's a beautiful gentleness in the way that you approach those conversations and, and the work that you do. And you can tell that. I can tell that even just in the way that you communicate with people online. But the gift that comes with those conversations, even in that uncomfortableness, is so critical. So what's it like post those conversations? It can still be bumpy, you know. I feel that you know in creating a a workplace culture that is kind there will be people within the workplace that will go I've been waiting for this this is amazing I I, like thank you thank you so much actually it's really interesting Um, someone I'm I'm quite close to and he has just started in a a senior management position and I spoke to him the other day and there was a person in his role I think for about five or six years prior to him and he's a very kind leader and what he said to me was oh the first thing I did when I got into my new position was check everybody's birthdays and as soon as their birthday was due I sent them a a happy birthday text message from my private phone and he said the response was just like he was blown away he had this one person who's been working at the company for 30 years and she came to him physically to his office and said I just wanted to say thank you I've not had a text message that's personalized in the 30 years that I've worked here and I was just like I'm getting the goosebumps here, Marianne. Like it was just sometimes the simplest thing that seems so small has the biggest impact because it shows the people that you really care and not that you care just about, you know, the people as a cohort, you care about the individual. And when people feel like they're valued and seen and heard, then that makes the journey a lot, you know, less bumpy. But then you'll have people who go, I don't know why we need change. This doesn't resonate with me at all. We've been fine. Let's just keep doing things the way we've always been doing them. And so it's really about how do you then uh, highlight and show and support those people because change, when you change something, not only within yourself but within a workplace, if what you've been doing you think has been serving you, so you've been put into a leadership position, you feel powerful when you're in that position, you know what you're doing, you feel like you, you go to work every day and you feel comfortable and it's that level of comfort, it's pushing those people outside that comfort zone that can be the really difficult place for them to sit and you might not ever have everybody on that journey and you might find that people leave and that's okay yes because sometimes depending on how people have been recruited sometimes they've outgrown those roles sometimes they just were never the right culture fit to begin with and it it makes sense for them to to move on and and sometimes it's it's having those hard conversations and and asking them to move on as well Mm -hmm. and that's that's not a bad thing but I feel 
feel like a lot of businesses think they have to spend money. If they just throw money at things, then that solves the issue. I used to work for a very large corporate and they would throw money, you know, parties, all sorts of different Mm. things, Mm. but it didn't really mean anything because then when they would go back into the workplace, into their day-to-day, it would be back to the old way and back to the yes that's right back to the so it just felt like an empty gesture in a lot of ways it it sort of mimics like narcissistic relationships like they're good for a bit and then they go back to being horrible again you know (laughs) they reel you back in (laughs) they reel you back in and because a lot of the time you're there because you're trying to keep a roof over your head and you've got families and all sorts of different things it's it's kind of easy to stay in that um, it is it's easy but not easy yeah Mm. in that relationship and I haven't really thought about it like that until just now, which is really yeah. amusing. But yeah. I I would assume that when you're talking to business leaders, that there are, because that they would want to go into action mode, wouldn't they? Yes. When you're talking to them, they just go straight to the action. They don't want to really talk it. about, the, yeah, how to yeah. fix it. They don't want to talk yeah. about the problems. No. So how are you facilitating those conversations then so that they start to acknowledge that it isn't just going straight into the actions, that there's some pre-work that needs to be done there? And then, you know, is there a light bulb for them when they realise they don't actually have to spend much more money? They just have mm-hmm. to change some of the ways in, in, in which they're showing up yeah and and how they're communicating with their staff yeah I don't I don't think that you know without the discovery phase when you first go into a business there needs to be that real co-design and I know the word co-design gets thrown around everywhere as well but really it's about opening up the channels of communication not only with the leadership team but with the people within the business. And I feel, you know, coming from an HR background and I still work in HR and the businesses that I go into, a lot of the time the people at the middle management and below are left out of the equation. So they'll have an employee, you know, engagement survey sent out every six months or 12 months and they'll gather the feedback and then they'll go, right, well, these are, you know, the leadership team or the board or the CEO will sit down and look at the report and go, right, well, these are our areas that we need to strategically um, look at. What I feel that is there's a step missing post that where they go back to the teams and actually have those open and robust discussions where you say, you know, this is the feedback we've had in this in this engagement survey. And sometimes there's not even surveys done. So that might even be the first step is to actually open up the lines of communication and really letting people know that there may be changes coming in. However, there will be open communication and discussion and input throughout the process. And I think that when you can explain to not only the leadership team, but have access to the rest of the the workforce as well as a consultant coming in or as someone trying to make change within a business, even if you're a leader within a business, telling people what you believe they need is never going to work because you're not communicating and collaborating with people and people won't feel like they've been heard or listened to. And also you might find the people at the front line. So when I was working in aged care, the ones who were the carers and the nurses and the people at the coalface of the work, they know far more about what's going on within the business day to day than you would ever know in an executive leadership position because they're the ones 
you know, they're client facing, they're, they're doing the work that you're trying to create and implement structures and systems around. So, you know, if you don't have that open line of communication, I don't think that you're going to get any further in the process. So communication would be the building block and the starting place for anything that I do. Yeah, absolutely. And I can understand why it is. There are a, a hell of a lot of businesses that don't do engagement surveys and they're just, they're just making up their own story for the yeah. most part, aren't they? Yeah, everything's fine, sweeping the or they just decide what the issues are yeah. and a lot of the time that it's not that's not actually the case at all no no, no. And talk to your people if that is the biggest piece of advice that I can ever give organizations and leaders is have humility be curious and show up face to face as much as you can with your staff to actually find out how they're feeling and what they need and it's it's not costing anything except your time which obviously time is money but it will cost you more in the long run if you don't do that, I think. So so here's a challenging question, right? I like this. Yeah. How yeah. How <laughs> is someone supposed to do that when they're not willing to do that for their own self and in their own personal life? People are resisting. And that's why, you know, I love talking to individuals like yourself because we can get right into the juice of yeah, it. Right? Digging, yeah. but, but if they're not willing how are you encouraging them to do that? Because it, it means if you're starting to do it in one part, then they know there's something innate in them that they understand that they're going to have to start doing it somewhere else as well. Yeah. And so that's why it sort of comes at a at a stop, doesn't it? Yeah. So how do you work around that? Because, I, I mean, you hear it over and over, of course, talk to your people, get, you know, yes. connect deeper with them, of course. Yeah. But when we're in a world where people don't want to do that, I'm interested from your perspective how do you encourage that i feel that if a person themselves feels seen and heard that, and that they matter hopefully and it's not foolproof hopefully they will feel that they can then do that with other people so where i start is with usually with the leadership team because what people see they will model and as a leader you are being watched 100% of the time you know if if anyone in a leadership position or or supervisory or or team leader think that the people around them are not watching everything they're doing and talking about everything they're doing, then they're not as self-aware as they need to be. Because once you step into a, a role where you have potentially more power, more control, more influence, the people below you will start to look at you and think, well, is what's coming out of her mouth what she is doing when she thinks she's not being watched? Does she behave the same way every time I see her? Are her boundaries clear? Is she able to interact with me in a respectful manner or does she go and speak about me behind my back that then gets back to me? So the question is is fascinating because you're not going to fix everybody. And as I said before, you can't, you can't, and I don't go into every business and think, oh my goodness, this is going to be the best thing ever and I'm going to change everyone and it's going to be all rainbows and sunshine and lollipops because it won't be. There will be people, as I said before, there'll be people who go, no, it's not for me. This is not for me. And they may self-select out. Like if this is, if the business is committed as part of its strategic objectives to actually focus on kinder leadership and mental health and well-being from a uh, embedding it and threading it through the workplace culture, there will be people who self-select out because that will be too uncomfortable for them to look inward first to then be able to outwardly support their teams in the way that the business expects them going forward to do. What I have found though is 
sometimes the people who are the most difficult to bring on the journey are the ones that you need to spend the most time supporting and actually helping them to understand and help themselves first. So when you said a lot of people don't want to help themselves, I feel that a lot of people may not be aware that they need help, firstly. And secondly, I feel that maybe if they do feel they need help, they don't know where to start. And so some of the process that I use is to actually spend time mentoring those leaders who might be completely against the whole thing. And we have discussions around, well, what are the challenges? Like, why why does this feel so uncomfortable for you? What do you feel you're getting out of the situation currently? And what, what could change if you move on to this and make this change within yourself and then within the business? So there is no leadership without self-awareness first that is very effective. And so if you can spend the time with those leaders who are not on the journey, but who need the support and help on jumping on board to help themselves, then they will be able to see the outcomes of that for themselves and then hopefully implement that and then it ripples out into the business. But it's challenging. I can't, you know, it's not an easy process for sure. For sure it is. What percentage of leaders that you're engaging with have that self-awareness? Just like ballpark it for me. Well, probably the ones that I work with are probably more self-aware because I tend to attract people who want to work with me and they see the benefit in working with me. When I go into businesses, however, as an HR consultant, I reckon you're probably sitting around 50-50, if I'm honest. you probably got, it's probably, you know, it might be slightly skewed either way, but I think a lot of people who, you know, through COVID, I think it really showed a lot of leaders where their skill gaps were, were uh, what they were potentially missing, what they needed from their leaders and from their CEO and their board of directors. And I feel that definitely what I've seen shift over the last few years is people asking for more help, people trying to understand the people in their teams more, particularly from a mental health and wellbeing perspective. Um, So prior to that, probably not as high, or if they did have that awareness, maybe being afraid to show that vulnerability within the workplace, because I feel it was less acceptable pre-COVID. But I think that's changed. I'm hoping it's changed. What I'm seeing is there is definitely a, a change in people who are, and leaders who are taking their leave. You know, I'm going on a holiday, I'm turning my mobile off, I'm turning my email notes notifications off and really taking care of themselves first because they realize that they're a human as well so but there are still a lot out there who just go oh it's fine we'll just keep going no you'll be fine just keep going so I think it's yeah. probably in my opinion I think half, half. yes mm-hmm. I can imagine I can imagine so that feels accurate to me I mean when you're talking to leaders are you talking about when you know encouraging that depth and encouraging that that self-awareness that there is a significant opportunity that they have when it comes to recruitment, the more that they're like that. So the more they allow themselves to be vulnerable in that way, the more that they connect deeply, the more that they show more of themselves and are willing to have conversations like that, the better their recruitment, the better better talent they're going to attract in their business. I think there's probably two parts to that. So if your workplace culture celebrates vulnerability, kindness, empathy, love, joy, play, you know, play is becoming a big thing. I've been seeing a lot recently about that, actually, about bringing more play and joy into workplaces, which I'm loving, particularly around Lego play. I don't know if you've seen any of the people who are now um, becoming certified in corporate Lego play. No. Fascinating. Yeah, fascinating. I'm, I'm actually one of my really beautiful um, business 
Women's Connections has just gone to Western Australia and she was certified in it. And she said, can I practice on you? And I said, please do. So we're going to do that in the next few weeks because I've got my kids, my boys have Lego everywhere. But I found that absolutely fascinating because those are the businesses that will stand out going forward, in my opinion. I feel that from an attraction and uh, retention perspective, you're not going to be able to, you know, attract and retain everybody. And I and I think that it is far more acceptable and people understand more that, you know, we no longer get into a workplace and we like, you know, our parents and grandparents that they stay in the same job for their whole life. And I know certainly because I'm in my early 40s. And so when I was coming into the workplace, it was never a positive thing if you had been in a job, you know, for 12 months and then you'd moved on to another one. You were sort of seen as perhaps being a bit flaky and someone you might not want to recruit. I feel that has shifted a lot because you've got a lot of remote workers, you've got a lot of hybrid workers, you've got a lot of younger workers who are expecting to have a career journey rather than, you know, I know my career, that's going to be my career for the rest of my life until I retire. And so that shift in how can we create a workplace environment that will attract the right kinds of people for us. So I think the first part of that question is, is the workplace culture fit for purpose? Is that how we want to be on a daily basis and show up? When you get that part, then when you go out to recruit and you're looking for the top talent or the people that will fit within that workplace culture, the right people will be attracted. But then obviously you need to make sure you've got the right employee value proposition around, you know, remuneration, flexibility, uh, work structure, support, you know, mental health and wellbeing support, the team around them, you know, workload, all of the, you know, the facets of the work that the, the person's actually going to be doing when they get on the job. There's that part about attracting and retaining people as well. So when you combine those two and then you have a leadership team above that who then walk their talk and are vulnerable and do care, I think then once you get people in and attracted, that's how you'll retain them for longer. Yes. Do you find that they there's a, a comfortableness that they want to protect themselves and it's almost like a little shield so that, you know, they're not hurt or they're not, you know, perceived incorrectly that it's like a, a little bravado that they put on but really underneath yep. that, that's actually not what's happening at all. And if mm-hmm. if only people saw what was underneath, yeah. they would see, if they let people see what's underneath, they would see very quickly how much more amazing things would be. Yeah, I think that a lot of leaders are afraid, and I've been one of them, are afraid to show people that you don't have it all together. And definitely for me in the past, I saw vulnerability as a weakness and I saw kindness as a weakness. And what shifted that was uh, working with and for people who showed kindness and me realising that the more I was able to show up as me, but boundaries with that. So I'm not, you know, this huge oversharer within a workplace. I'm not going to tell you what I've done all over the weekend. I'm, I am always friendly, supportive. I hold space for people. I share what I feel comfortable to share about my own journey because there are people out there, Marianne, who, you know, who may use that in a way that is not kind. And so it's about making sure that when you are sharing and when you are being vulnerable and you are being, you know, curious about yourself or other people within the workplace or a a situation, making sure that what you are sharing is appropriate and is in in an appropriate forum with appropriate people. And so I feel like that's like a whole nother level of, you know, discussion. But when leaders are 
able to be themselves, show up as themselves and let people show up as themselves within the boundary of appropriate behaviour within the workplace. You know, if you've got someone coming in who's, you know, crying all the time or, you know, yelling at people or, you know, and people go, oh, well, I'm just showing up as I am and you need to accept me as I am, then I would challenge that because for me that's, not having an awareness around how your behaviour will impact other people around you. So I think there are so many different levels. And this is why I work closely with businesses because we're all humans, right? And we all have different emotions at different times of the day. So, yeah. Yes, I I mean, I feel like even it's almost like a a template for what is happening worldwide with the way people are communicating, you know, Mm. that that you've got people in the extremes where they're oversharing and they're they're telling you what they had for breakfast every day, every minute of the day, they're they're ranting or whatever on socials. And then you've got people who are only putting all the good things on. So, again, that's, you know, that's shielding, that's not sharing properly, but you're right, there is a balance and there is a mix because you, you don't want to set yourself up for shenanigans so you're not going to you're not going to you know just be open and and it's you know open season so people can take that information and then use it against you or hurt you or hurt you of course so it it is about finding that balance but what do you recommend as a starting point for leaders probably I mean what I usually start on is values and one thing that really changed the way that I not only lead but live is getting very clear on what my top five values are, my core values. So what I can't live without, what I would find really uncomfortable in a workplace if it was missing. And there are plenty of, you know, lists online that you can do. Um, Brené Brown's got an amazing one on her website, which has all the values listed. And when I workshop with businesses, um, usually the topics of most interest are the values and values alignment. So getting clear on values and then boundary setting. So I would start there if I was going into a business. Firstly, I would do the discovery part with the business or the business can do it themselves and start communicating around, well, you know, what's the feeling of the workplace? What do we feel is missing? What do we want to retain? And really doing a gap analysis on the workplace itself and how people feel when they're in it. And then getting groups together and having a discussion around, right, As and, and you would start with the leadership team. You know, you're not going to start with the people at the bottom of the old chart only because the leaders have the most impact. So if you start with their values and then they know how they work and interact with each other, then that can then filter down and you can start having those discussions within their teams because then the leader will be very clear on who they are, what they do, why they do it and what they will and won't accept. And then you can start having discussions with the teams that filter through through the business. So probably values would be the most important thing to start with if that would be, um, if you're looking for one thing for people to start with, that's not, it doesn't cost anything. What can happen though when you have them, those discussions without a facilitator is people can often get quite, you can often have some quite robust discussions and when you haven't got a neutral person to kind of guide you through that process, it can be a little bit triggering for some people. But definitely I would start with values and then getting um, clear on what is missing and what the business wants to retain as well going forward. And what does done look like? You know, if we had the most amazing workplace culture with the most amazing staff, if we attracted the most brilliant people and and wanted to retain them, 
what would our business look like, feel like, smell like, be like at the end point and then work back from there. Yeah, which I think is a really great approach. Do you find that it's easier working with small business rather than the large corporates? Mm. Yeah, I do most of my work with smaller ones. And I feel that this is the kind of work that can roll out across larger corporates and organisations where the difficulty may arise with that is how do you communicate with everybody to have everybody's input? So it could be a very time-consuming process, not that it would be not worthwhile. And I just haven't worked with big clients yet because the smaller ones often don't have the support. So they often don't have their HR, have an HR person. They often don't have a well being person, but a lot of the larger corporates do have those positions now within their organisations. So a lot of that work is already being done internally. What the smaller ones don't have is the the, the people power, so the, the hands on the work and um, probably the time, but also maybe, you know, of a smaller business, you often have the business owner who is kind of everything to everybody. And so by me coming into a smaller business, it's almost they can hand that part of the work over and then be given a report at the end that says, right, these are the things that you need to um, focus on. Um, these are the things you're doing really well. So keep doing them. And then if you need help, then I'm here to guide you if you need going forward. So yeah, I would say it probably is a lot harder. And I would probably need to be more than one person. You know, I just do my work on my own. And I like to embed myself within the business. So I feel like I've only got so many hours in the day as well. So how long does that transformation typically take in a small business? Yeah, look, it it depends on the business um, and its size. But I run a 10 month program. And so what I do within that program is I partner with the business to actually have a check-in monthly with an actual topic that we would discuss around kind leadership and then they also have time in between to be mentored either one-on-one or group with me to actually discuss any of the things that are arising through you know through that process and then we have a couple of full day workshops that happen within that 10 months as well so you know I think change depends on the business and the appetite for change and the ones that who the ones who are more engaged and more excited for that change it will happen faster because they'll practice it and they'll implement it and they'll start to see the change and then they'll embed that more. You know, it could take longer than that. I mean, culture culture is a big thing to change within business, even if you're not talking about something as left of centre as kindness. You know, when you're talking about change management and changing a workplace culture in a traditional sense, that can take two to five years. And I think it's about the business understanding that when they go on this process, it's it's not a, a Band-Aid, it's not a quick fix like you were talking about earlier and we just go in and we go, hooray, we're all fixed and we're amazing when actually no we're not it's this is the this is the pathway and the journey that we're choosing and we understand that it's going to take time and commitment to do that so a one-off workshops great but is that going to change much probably not yeah I mean when I was working for the large corporate they had HR specialists you know ones that came in specifically to to change and help with culture and there would be all this hype at the beginning and then it yeah. would just start to teeter off. It would it would just start to fall right down. And mm-hmm. then I've worked personally when I was a kinesiologist, uh, was working with a small business. They 
I think like half of the the people working in the workplace were my clients. So then they hired me to come into the workplace (laughs) to help them with their culture. And it was so amazing because I'd sort of forgotten that part of my skill set, you know. And so I was talking to them and it, it wasn't long before that changed. And we implemented specific strategies in. There were people that were held accountable. We were marking things off when they were completed so that everyone knew where we were at and that there was change and we were, you know, we were collecting a a list of all the different changes that had happened so they could see, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's very easy to just forget what happened last month, you know, two months ago, six months ago, whatever, but it was incredible to see. And of course, you know, even in a small business, I'm sure there'll be people within that business that won't want to change. There will be some significant roadblocks. Sometimes that even is right at the very top. And that's, you know, that is all good. It is. It is. Those discussions are never, never comfortable. No. And, and they, it has to be, it has to start there. I mean, you know, you could read any leadership book, any, and they all say it starts at the top. And of course it does. And there are a number of different ways that, you know, people at the top can support themselves. But my question to you now is what do you, you know, what's your end goal for all of this? Like if you were envisioning a utopia, if you will, what does that, (laughs) yeah, it's it's an old school word. What does that, <laughs> what does that look like to you in your mind? What do you wish? That there is a, you know how, how there are businesses that can become um, accredited in a particular way of working? You know, you've got the silver tick for being inclusive for, you know, older persons. You've got um, the rainbow tick for being inclusive around gender. And my end goal if you really want to know, and I have never verbalised this with anyone, so uh, is to have an accredited program that businesses can receive the tick of kindness. So we are a, a business that has a culture of kindness and everything we do is underpinned by the the kindness pillars. So that's my end goal is that I can create something that has meaningful impact and you know this is intrinsic for me this is not something that I want to you know I don't want to get famous or anything like that I really what drives me every day is I know what it's like to work in an unkind workplace I know the impact that an unkind workplace can have on the people within it and they can be dire you know there are some things that can be really really you know when stress and overwhelm and you know toxicity within a workplace um, is allowed to you know generate and get bigger without being a Addressed, I know what that's like. And so when I think about a kindness utopia or a utopia of, of my work is that businesses really see the power of kindness and know that it has an actual financial return on investment and that they want to become accredited because that is part of their attraction and retention policy is we are a a workplace filled with kindness. These are our expectations. This is how we walk our talk. This is how we give back. This is how you will matter when you're within the business. And, you know, that's what I really want to generate and for that to be, you know, worldwide because it's, you know, we're all humans at the end of the day. Just because we live in a different country from someone else doesn't mean that, you know, we we have different wants and desires um, 
um, at heart level. Yeah, we all want to matter. The vision that I'm getting is it's this. It would be the same. Like it would be like the equivalent of a B Corp. You know. Yeah. That's, you know that that's got so much status to it at the moment because yes. of the the compartments to be sustainable and you know all of those you know really efficient and that's great. Mm. But also, mm. how about this? And that I mean that would be it. That would be so amazing. Imagine this world if businesses were holding themselves accountable to reaching for that. I, I mean, know. I think that should trump the B Corp personally. But oh. you know, because I, I'm I'm not. I've got a lot of opinions about you know the climate agenda. But that's we'll just leave that there. That's a that's a conversation for a different day. My audience would be very familiar with my opinions about that, and they would have that same opinion, I'm sure. But the um, <laughs> the kindness, you know, like really thinking about the the practical things that they could do. I think mm. that is something worth exploring. And I, you know, I'm sure you are working on that on the back end. But I implore you to definitely. <laughs> You know, use it as a model, if you will, if you're not already. Here's my little pep talk to you. Please do. I love it. Yeah, hype me up. Yeah, I am. I totally, for sure, use it as a model to create that because that, I mean, that's a that's a whole movement, isn't it? And you're you're one person, but if you can, if you can create an accreditation, I think that would be a brilliant. I know it's It's pretty exciting, and well, I've never told anyone. Yeah, (laughs) here I am on podcast. You're energetically putting it out there, which I just think is I mean it's yours it's yours to do for sure it's arts it's incubating it's beautiful it is yeah. yeah, it's in seed. It's in seed. So we're Definitely. just sitting on it, and it's... it is. Here's your confirmation because I can I can see it right. I can see and the the fact that you know I'm I'm getting the association to the B Corp. I think is yes. is brilliant, and it's not Love hard that. to do. But it, it is going to mm. challenge businesses. You're going to be mm. able to reach them so that they're doing the work, just like the the B Corp process. Yeah. You're challenging them to do it themselves, and there is yes. obviously help that they can you know help and resources. That's all fine. But at the mm. end of the day they have to do the work and if they want this status and that will be like the beacon for recruitment and all the things oh who wouldn't want to work so it's interesting um I'm loving that this has come up in conversation because I I love that we never had any plan really for this conversation and yet what comes out is exactly what's meant to be talked about but there was an article that came out um last week in Forbes and it was around a study that was done by you know the people who do random acts of kindness so it's an actual organization that that's got a website and they do random acts of kindness. They partnered with a um, like a, a university to do a study on kindness. And I was like, this is amazing. So I went down the rabbit hole and obviously, you know, got all excited about the, the report. But one of the things that really surprised me was that people are more likely to apply for a job that has the word kindness listed in their policies and procedures and in their advert than if it was missing. And it was quite high. It was like, oh, I can't even remember the percentage. It was like 70 something percent. I don't know. It was quite high, quite high. And I thought that's huge because this is, you know, an international study that's been done there's now scientific you know research that's been done into it around is kindness that impactful and it's been proven and I know in my heart of hearts that it is absolutely necessary for the businesses of the future to incorporate more of that into their business strategy you know it needs to really be part of the strategy is how do we want our people to feel how do we want them to be seen how do we want them to show up what are our expectations around that and when I read this article I was like hallelujah (laughs) I'm being backed up 
<laughs> we'll see. And the, and here's your confirmation, right? Our conversation is your confirmation mm-hmm. because it that would fundamentally change things and it would be good for people to be able to, if they're concerned about the the, the bottom line and they they don't have the budget to have someone come in, a consultant mm-hmm. come in, having a, a template or a guideline yeah. to work from to get exactly. started would be yeah. so brilliant. I know, right? I can feel the harmony of all these beautiful <laughs> HR people out there just going, yes. because if I had had something you know when I worked in a standalone business if I had had something that gave me a bit like when so being in aged care we had obviously quite stringent aged care accreditation standards which are very difficult to reach so obviously that's that's a massive thing but if there was something around workplace culture that gave me the guideline on what are the steps that I can start to implement slowly on my own with my time constraints because obviously everyone in business is overworked and you know underpaid and we hear it all but what what are some of the the really practical things that can be implemented that don't cost the world mm. absolutely and and stretch goals as well i mean yeah. when you when you look at and I'll, I'll reference it again the the b corp process you have to really be able to quantify how you're doing a number of different things and and there are a lot of really stretched targets in there which is why you get that accreditation and you get that notoriety, if you will. Yeah. But this is for the greater good, you know. This is a, this is a, as much for our world as it is yeah. for that side of things. I just, yeah, I think that that you're onto something there, definitely. Hey. I feel very excited for you. If you Thank can't you. tell, you know, I love it. And I, do you know what I love when you when you chat to somebody who is just as excited about what they do as you are about what you do? There is this beautiful synergy of going, no, but you're amazing. Yeah, you do that. You, yeah, that's great. And then you both come away going, take on the world. This is amazing. <laughs> well, you can and you are. And I love that you are a change maker in that way. I think you're an exceptional human. You are very high vibe. I, I loved you from the start. It was, no, uh, it was like a millisecond. Who, who is this? Oh, no, love her straight away. As soon as I saw your post, I was like, <laughs> I have to know her. I have to be a creepy person, hunt her down, connect, find her. Like I needed I needed to know everything. As soon as well, I saw your post, I was like, yeah. Well, we're friends forever now. Yes, you're right. stuck with me. We're moving back to Adelaide too. So in the new year. So Woo-hoo! watch out. <laughs> That's so good. I can't wait for those in-person sessions too. Yeah, That's gonna be amazing. So how can my audience connect with you? How can they find you? Uh, Probably LinkedIn is the number one place because if people want to see what I'm about, um, I post a lot of video content, as you know, so they can sort of see me as a human, interacting as human to human rather than just a static post. So LinkedIn, it's just under my name, Sophie Breitag. Um, I'm on Instagram under my company name, so Meta Leaders. And in that, I share a little bit more personal snippets. So I use the stories to, you know, show a little bit more of behind the scenes of what I do and who I am and I I feel like I'm a little bit more creative on Instagram so if you want to join me there that would be great or my website which is just metaleaders.com so really easy beautiful Sophie thank you so much for joining me today I've loved our conversation I'm I was you know busting to get to this one you are an incredible human I cannot wait to see kindness as a (laughs) accreditation (laughs) I look forward to being able to say I was there when. 
Yes. Um, that was that is going to be so brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you, Miriam. It's just been an absolute joy. And I just know every time that we speak, there is this beautiful energy of creation within both of us. And I'm just really here to watch you shine and create in your space as well, because it's it's a, it's a joy to be connected. So thank you for having me. <laughs> You're so welcome. Thanks again. Thank you.